then I, I met Dan, you know, who's my life partner now, and we wanted to start a family. Right. And I talked to my doctor about it and she said, well, you should, I'll refer you to a gynecologist. And uh, the gynecologist said, uh, yeah, we'll do a surgery. And it's like a laser. It's called ablation surgery, which what this does is it kind of like uses a laser to like cut back some of the endometriosis, but it doesn't take it out because it's like mm. really rooted. And it is, there's another surgery, which I didn't learn about until a few years ago. But if you do this kind of surgery, you know, it's going to grow back. And the doctor said like, it will grow back. Right. You need to be aware that this is going to grow back. So he did the surgery. Then I was formally diagnosed with endometriosis. So this was in 2008. And he was clear that if I was going to get pregnant, I needed to try within the next year. Hello, and welcome to the Wake Up With Gratitude podcast, where we share tips, tricks, and hacks on how to practice gratitude daily. Whether you're a gratitude guru or you've lost your gratitude journal once again, we've got you covered. We share personal and authentic stories from our guests who are entrepreneurs, business professionals, parents, caregivers, and everyday human beings just like you and I. I'm your host, Julie Boyer, and I'm an intuitive business and health coach, and I'm here to inspire you to choose to wake up with gratitude every single day. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the podcast. It's Julie Boye here, and today I'm turning the tables. I get to be the guest on my own podcast, sharing one of my own personal struggles. And I was interviewed by a dear friend of mine, Kathy Skelcher. Kathy has over 22 years as a yoga and fitness instructor, and she's also a certified health coach. So she's excellent at asking questions. Above all, Kathy is a very sensitive and kind human being. So I thought it would be good for us to talk about this together. Just two friends having a conversation about endometriosis. Now I do want to share a bit of a content warning. This episode might not be for everyone. We are discussing uh, endometriosis. We're talking about taking the birth control pill. We'll be talking about some surgical procedures that I had and also miscarriage and a little bit of talk about sex. So if you've got little ones around, you may want to be putting your headphones on before you listen to this full episode. There's a few things that I want to mention before we talk about endometriosis, and I do explain what endometriosis is in the episode. However, just to make sure everyone knows what we're talking about. So endometriosis is a disease where tissue similar to the lining of the uterus grows outside the uterus, causing pain and or infertility. Now, according to the World Health Organization, endometriosis affects roughly 10%, which is 190 million women of reproductive age and girls globally. So this is something that likely affects someone in your life, and you probably don't know that it affects them because it's a very invisible illness. When we talk about prevention, at present, there is no known way to prevent endometriosis. Um, It says an enhanced awareness followed by early diagnosis and management may slow or halt the natural progression of the disease and reduce the long-term burden of its symptoms. Yeah, that would be great. But as I talk about, there's really not a lot that can be done. Um, In terms of treatment, I talk about that there aren't really any good treatments for endometriosis itself. The treatments that are offered are generally around reducing some of the symptoms. And for many women, surgery ends up being the only option, which is 
what I ended up doing and we'll discuss that as well. So there is a lot of work to be done in endometriosis awareness and helping to understand how many women are suffering from this silently. We generally don't know that someone is hiding their endometriosis and you'll hear about some of the ways that I hid it from people because I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed to just be in pain all the time. I was embarrassed to cancel on so many events and just embarrassed that I was dealing with this woman problem every single month and it wasn't getting any better. One of the key factors that helped me to get through basically 30 years of this pain and especially over the last decade, of course, are my gratitude practices. This podcast generally is talking about gratitude and the different gratitude practices that not only I use in my own life, but that my guests use in the way that they practice gratitude. I also think it's really important that we share our stories and having recently had surgery to basically get rid of my endometriosis, it's really allowed me this perspective to look back at how unwell I was for so many years. And so the reason I'm sharing my story with you today is that these endometriosis stories need to be heard so that people can take action and really get women the help that they need with something that is just doesn't have any real solutions right now and no real proper diagnosis. We will talk about that in the episode, but I thank you so much for listening in. Today is also a very special milestone in the podcast as this is episode 150. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for continuing to listen. Thank you for all the amazing guests who have given me their time to appear on the podcast. Thank you for everyone who's shared the podcast, left a review, has it on automatic download. It truly is incredible that I am able to connect with you in this way every week. I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Honestly, I did not expect that I would still be going so strongly at 150 episodes. I can already see the next 50 episodes that come to mind when I think about this podcast. So thank you so very much. The last thing I want to mention before we start is I'd like to extend an invitation to visit my shop at wakeupwithgratitude.com. I don't know if you've heard, but I made a calendar for 2022. I live on Vancouver Island, one of the most beautiful places in the world, and I'm so incredibly grateful and blessed to live within about a 10 or 15 minute drive to some incredible beaches where I can watch the sunrise. I am obsessed with the sunrise and I love taking photos with my phone. Actually, I use my phone to take all my photography and I love sharing my photos with you. And last year was the first time I made a calendar and it went really, really well. So I wanted to do the same thing this year. And one of the comments I actually got from someone who purchased this year was that the calendar was even more stunning than it was last year. So I invite you to take a peek over at wakeupwithgratitude.com where we've got the calendar, my book, 30 Days of Gratitude. We've got different card sets if you want to express your gratitude in a written way and other ways that you can support the podcast. Okay, friends. So let's get into this very personal episode about my experience with endometriosis. 
Hi, friends. Welcome to the Wake Up With Gratitude podcast. I'm your host, Julie Boyer, and today we are doing a Turn the Tables episode. So I've asked my good friend, Kathy Skelcher, to interview me for this podcast episode. Now, a little intro of Kathy before we get started. Kathy Skelcher is the founder of Inner Revolution Coaching and Yoga. She's a certified health coach and yoga instructor. And Kathy and I began working together this past May. I'm really excited because I'm a co-facilitator for the Fall Gut Reset program that Kathy is running, and I'm having a great time. We just started, but I'm so happy to be doing this. So Kathy, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And what's fun is that we're actually sitting right beside each other. Yes. So we might actually get really giggly. (laughs) All right. So why do you want to maybe introduce why I invited you to interview me and what we're going to talk about today? Sure. Yes, I will. Um, So today we're going to talk about Julie's journey really uh, with endometriosis and what, how that sort of has affected her life and her experiences um, just through menstruation, pregnancies, um, a hysterectomy most recently and just day-to-day life really, I'd say. Um, yeah, yeah. I think we'll start there. Yeah. That sounds pretty good. And you know, the reason I wanted to share the story is because first of all, endometriosis is a total hidden disease. Uh, one in 10 women suffer from endometriosis and, some people have never even heard of the disease. And not only that, they don't understand how, how much it can affect the quality of life and how there's like no real treatment and no real solutions, uh, to help people with this. So that's sort of where the idea for sharing my story was. So I'll let Kathy ask all the questions. Yeah. So the first thing I'm going to ask, just because I too, um, I'm in the audience of people that doesn't know very much about uh, endometriosis. Maybe you could briefly explain for people like me what that is. Yeah, that's a good point. We should probably explain what endometriosis is. So, uh, what it is basically is a, I love how they say it's an often painful disorder. I don't know anybody with endometriosis who isn't suffering. So the tissue tissue that is similar to the tissue that normally lines the inside of your uterus, which is the endometrium, grows outside your uterus. So endometriosis is most commonly found in your ovaries, fallopian tubes, and the tissue lining your pelvis. And rarely, uh, endometrial-like tissue may be found beyond the area where the pelvic organs are located. So that's where it gets a little bit more complicated. So that's basically what it is. Okay. And when did you first learn that you had endometriosis? Well, what's interesting is, so we're still at a point where endometriosis can only be truly diagnosed through surgery. So this is not something you can do an ultrasound or even just an examination to actually know that it's endometriosis. But when I was first told that I probably had endometriosis was when I was 15 years old. So I was pretty young. Uh, I almost since when I got my first period, I had really, really painful cramps. And I remember having to miss school Uh, Mm -hmm. like when I was 13, 14, 15 years old, like just having to miss school, spending the day in in the bathtub, you know, I remember this is so crazy. I just remember this. My mom used to give me shots of whiskey Wow, to help with like thinning of the blood to help relieve some pain. This I'm like probably old school. That's old. It is, but yeah, because she didn't know what to do because I was in so much pain. So Yeah. So I went to the, uh, I saw a gynecologist, uh, when I was 15 and he put me on birth control mm-hmm. as a solution to endometriosis. So yeah. 
like, I have to be careful not to talk about like the panacea of the pill. Yeah. Um, well, I found out about that later though. I was, yeah. This was 30, let's be clear, this was 30 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just thinking like, as a mother, that must've been really hard. Cause you also don't want to be dosing your child with tons of Tylenol or ibuprofen or painkillers on a regular basis. And also, um, missing school for you, uh, must've been challenging both scholastically and socially. Yeah. And I think that also, I don't know that like back then my mom really thought about like the impact of all the, you know, taking painkillers all the time. And I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure she didn't even think about the impact of what putting a 15 year old on birth control for this pain, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. really having discussions on the other, you know, benefit of birth control, right? which is right. being able to, you know, make decisions about my sex life and not having to worry about getting pregnant. Right. Right. Did the, so the pill obviously affected maybe some decision-making in your life. Yeah. <laughs> did it help with the pain? So that's the crazy thing is that it kind of did, but not really. So it was Say more, <laughs> yeah, it was better, mm-hmm. but it wasn't actually gone. I still had cramps every month. So this is the crazy part about it is like the only real solution is like, take the pill. Right. And no one talks about lifestyle or diet or anything like that, which can have a benefit. And I noticed that much later in my life when I you know got into this field, but no one talks about it. Definitely not 30 years ago. And so it was like, take the pill and you know, everything's fine. I mean, the one, the other benefit of being on the pill is I did not deal with teenage acne. Right. So it helped my head, great skin. Uh, and, and I, you know, was, uh, definitely made some decisions, um, in my sex life that were probably based on the fact that I didn't think I could get pregnant. I still use condoms, but I didn't think that I would be able to get pregnant and on the pill, you know? So, but the thing is, I still had pain. I still had cramps and I just figured that's the way that I was going to live. I mean, I have a hot pad that I've been using probably for like 20 years. Right. Right. It's, it's like a best friend. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely have traveled with it. I've taken it with me on vacation and, um, you know, through this time, I actually, I got married to my first husband. Um, those have been around the podcast might know that, you know, I'm have, in my second marriage, have a great husband, my first husband and I, it didn't work out. But I remember even in that relationship, I remember having to cancel on plans with him mm. to have to, it really affected our sex life. Of course. Right. Yeah, because of the pain and the bleeding and all these other things. So, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. And can I, we didn't sort of go over what yeah, questions sorry. were okay before we started this. So I'm just going to ask, yeah. um, how long were you on the birth control pill to try to manage this for 15 years straight? Okay. From so the from age of 15, 15 to 30, 15 to 30, right. not knowing that. I should maybe stop or look at other options. I didn't Mm -hmm. actually even look at it until I got into my business with USANA. When I started to understand like natural nutrition and all of these things, um, I just, I didn't know that there were other ways potentially that could handle it. But let me tell you, going off the pill was not the easiest thing. So yeah. So on all that time I was on the pill, but still having cramps. Right. So then I was like, okay, do I really want to be on the pill for the rest of my life? Mm Mm-hmm. And then I'm 30 and I'm starting to think about potentially having a family. Right. So were there any effects when you went off the pill or as you segue into this next part of your life? Yeah. So then now this is, I'm not sure that I would advise this. I decided to go off the pill on my own without any doctor supervision or any advice from a doctor. So that was my own decision and my own choice. And so what's really interesting, first of all, is that I hadn't really felt some emotions like for 15 years. Oh my. 
I hadn't even thought about that as a side effect. Yeah. Right. That it just sort of flattened yeah. out the highs and lows. Yeah. Right. Which some people might think, oh, great. It flattens out the lows. It brings them up, but the spectrum sort of shrinks all around. Yeah. And it really, I just couldn't believe like it had had such an impact on my mood for so many years. So that was a big one. And then the other thing is that at 30 year old at 30, I had all my teenage acne came back. Oh, oh no. <laughs> so then I figured out, um, and then again, I just started my journey with USANA. So I, I learned about, you know, taking care of my skin and also which nutritionals are good for healthy skin. But I, now that I look back, I'm guessing there was some kind of a detox process, right? right? And my body, like figuring out its own hormones for the first time, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like since puberty. Yeah. It's like getting back your circadian rhythm after being on shift work for yeah decades. Yeah. Right. Yeah. My body had to kind of figure all that out. So that was, uh, that was a big one for me for sure. It was going off the pill. And did you have any surgeries or anything before you were 30? Like while you were on the pill, did that start before then or during then? So I really had almost no support from the doctor besides like just taking, getting, taking birth control. Like there was never really any check-in on, is it working? How's it working for you? No, I would see my doctor on a fairly regular basis, you know, do um, pap smears, which is like really important, especially when you're on the pill um, and you're sexually active. So I would do all that, but no one really ever was like, Hey, is this like really helping your endometriosis? It was just keep taking the pill. Mm-hmm. So surgery hadn't been brought up, brought up until um, then I, I met Dan, you know, who's my life partner now. And we wanted to start a family. Right. And I talked to my doctor about it and she said, well, I'll refer you to a gynecologist. And uh, the gynecologist said, uh, yeah, we'll do a surgery. And it's like a laser. It's called ablation surgery, which what this does is it kind of like uses a laser to like cut back some of the endometriosis, but it doesn't take it out because it's like mm. really rooted. And it is, there's another surgery, which I didn't learn about until a few years ago. But if you do this kind of surgery, you know, it's going to grow back. And the doctor said like, it will grow back. Right. You need to be aware that this is going to grow back. So he did the surgery that I was formally diagnosed with endometriosis. So this was in 2008. And he was clear that if I was going to get pregnant, I needed to try within the next year. Right. Because the surgery would only last for a certain period of time. Right. So this really was a means to help you conceive yeah. and keep a baby. That's it. Yeah. yeah. And keep the, that's the other one is let's mm-hmm. keep the baby. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So that was my first surgery. And, but Dan and I weren't quite ready to have kids. So, uh, we didn't do Mm. it right away. And what's interesting is I think back now I'm trying to remember, like, did it really help with my cramps or not? And I, I don't think that it did because it only like pushed it back a certain amount. Interesting. And then, okay. So I guess the next question is pregnancies, Yeah, you know, um, how was conceiving for you? So this is the thing that I didn't know about. And I think I'm happy that I didn't know about it. So women with endometriosis in general have a very hard time conceiving and may not even be able to have a baby. And a really good friend of mine, Jill Mueller, who is an activist in this space now, she's a pelvic floor physiotherapist, and she's working um, with different organizations, raising the awareness of endometriosis because she is a fellow endometriosis sufferer. And I had met her around this time when we kind of started having conversations about it and her struggles 
with endometriosis and getting pregnant. And so she had advised, um, she said, as soon as you're ready to start, she's like, you need to track your fertility and you need to track your temperature. Mm, So she was like, don't waste any time just trying to get pregnant. She said, start tracking your cycle, taking your basal temperature in the morning. I was tracking it on a graph back then. They didn't have an app. There was (laughs) no number this. Oh yeah. Okay. So you're familiar with this? Well, my daughter, my eldest is 18 and same thing. There's of course, no smartphones, no apps or anything. So it was a chart and trying to figure out when you're fertile. Yeah. (laughs) When you ovulate, because your temperature will change. And so I did that and really incredibly, thankfully, uh, I got pregnant four months into that. Okay. I've actually found out I was, I thought I was pregnant. I was on a trip, uh, to San Diego or San Francisco, and I was still taking my temperature on this trip. Cause I just wanted to make sure. And it was like, it wasn't going down again. I was like, Oh, I wonder. And then I got home and did the pregnancy test and was pregnant with my daughter. And it was okay. So I'm like, you're smiling as you're yeah. telling the story. So yeah. I feel like it had a happy ending. It did. It yeah. did. Yeah. Very lucky. Um, my daughter did come early, which may or may not be related to endometriosis, but okay. she was, she was a preemie. She came early. Uh, 36 weeks, five days, but she's happy. She's healthy and she's 11 now and she's doing amazing. Right. Okay. And I'm just noticing you said, uh, ask about pregnancies on the notes. So I'm wondering Selena's here. Yep. And she was an only child. Yep. So were there other pregnancies that did not, you know, that ended? Yeah. Yeah. It's her miscarriage. Yeah. So I didn't, my surgeon had said, if you want to get pregnant again, you'll probably have to have the surgery again. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really want to have the surgery again. So I'm still not on birth control. I'm still suffering through my cycle, all of these things, but I don't want to go back for another surgery. Mm-hmm. And actually by then I had started to be for the first time, because like when you're on the pill, you don't really actually know what your cycle is because your cycle is guided by your pill. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now like I'm, you know, 35, 36, and I'm starting to understand how my cycle works. I'm starting to feel, I actually, so I would feel pain at ovulation every other month. So my right side would be in pain when I was ovulating. So it was kind of like, I didn't need the basal temperature anymore because I knew that I was ovulating Mm. because I had pain on my right side. So every other month, like it goes back and forth. So every other month I would feel pain enough that I would need to take some Tylenol, like, or Advil really in the middle of the, in the middle of the month. So I got pregnant for a second time and didn't really, I wasn't really concerned, right? Mm -hmm. Everything was fine. We got through 12 weeks. Right. And I thought everything was going to be okay. Right. And then I had a miscarriage at at 15 weeks. Oh yeah. It's hard. And it was really traumatic. You know, I had a miscarriage at home. Um, I was by myself. Actually, the thing I'm most grateful for is that my daughter had been at daycare that day. Mm-hmm. She only went to daycare part-time. So I was super grateful that she was not home when that happened, but I had to call an ambulance. Like okay. police had to break down my door. Cause I was home alone in the bathroom. Wow. Then I got, you know, taken to the hospital. I had a DNC. Yes. So a DNC is what they do if you have a miscarriage and it's incomplete and it wasn't a complete miscarriage. So they, they had to do a surgery, like an emergency surgery. Right. And so crazy, like the whole thing for me, like arriving at the hospital and then being home mm-hmm. was like the whole thing took place in five hours. Wow. And like, we stopped and picked up my daughter, our daughter at daycare on the way home. Right. The physical part took five hours. Yeah. I imagine the emotional part took a lot longer than five hours. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, you know, this whole podcast is about gratitude 
Mm-hmm. And I had already started my gratitude practice at that time. So mm-hmm. I had started writing things in my gratitude journal and I had a pretty good uh, habit going. So that night, uh, even though what was then like the worst day of my life, I was able to write in my gratitude journal. Mm-hmm. And that actually, you know, was part of my healing process was writing my book, 30 days of gratitude. I actually wrote the book. Cause I said, if right. I can be grateful right now on what is like the hardest day of my life, then mm-hmm. I need to share this mm-hmm. practice with other people. So yeah. So I started nice. writing my book then. We'll be right back to the podcast in just a few short moments. My friends, I have a gift for you. I created a beautiful gratitude meditation that you can download directly to your phone. What I love about this gratitude meditation is that it's a great way to start your day. And I encourage you to turn your phone on airplane mode before you go to sleep. And the nice thing about having a meditation that's downloaded to your phone is that you don't need to turn your phone off airplane mode before you start your day with gratitude. So to access this gratitude meditation, please visit bit.ly forward slash gratitude love letter. It's all one word and gratitude, love, and letter are all capitalized. So that's bit.ly forward slash gratitude love letter. As a bonus, I'll be sharing with you my weekly gratitude love letter into your inbox. It's something that will bring joy and happiness and of course, gratitude to your inbox every single week. That way you'll never miss another episode of the podcast. You'll hear about other podcasts and blogs and articles that I find interesting and want to share with you. And I also share some of my favorite photos that I've taken that week. So if we're not connected on social media, you'll get the best of wake up with gratitude in your inbox as well. All right, friends, let's get back into this episode of the podcast. So, yeah, I mean, thankfully having a gratitude practice helped me get through that first miscarriage. Um, but then there was a second miscarriage. Oh, okay. First miscarriage. Yeah. yeah. Second. So then we kind of were like, okay with us. We're like, okay, we're a family with one child. Like we're happy. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of had an oops. Mm. So we weren't using any protection because I knew when I was ovulating. Right. So we right. just were using pull and pray. Pull and pray. Nice. <laughs> but it, it was fine. I mean, it totally worked. The most like, part it worked. actually totally worked. And the one time it didn't work was me saying, yes, it's fine. But actually it wasn't. I like the next day I felt the ovulation pain. So I was like, oh, okay then. Right. And I actually knew right then I was like, I'm going to be pregnant for sure. Right. So I never had trouble getting pregnant, but mm-hmm. I just, mm-hmm. and then that one, I was definitely more nervous. And I got to 12 weeks again and had a, a very scary miscarriage went back to the hospital, um, said yes to the surgery. Cause they were like, well, you could just go at home and finish this. I was like, Nope, have that experience already. No, thank right. you. You know, sometimes they send you home to like have the miss who I don't understand that. First of all, like send you home to like, yeah, by yourself to like basically yeah. birth a baby. Right. That's going to be not alive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that seems very, uh, scary and lonely. <laughs> yeah. Totally mm-hmm. terrible. Uh, so I, wanted to, uh, I said yes to the surgery and I said, you know, like just wanted to make sure that I got it done. And then that is what that surgery turned to me getting, um, uh, a very life-threatening bacterial infection, invasive group A strep, which ended up with me being in a medically induced coma for a week. 
Right. I have heard about this once or twice in the podcast. Yeah. So um, now you are, okay. I just wanted to sort of back it up a sec because I'd asked you if it was hard for women that have endometriosis to conceive. And you said, sometimes it is. Some women can never get pregnant. You did not have that experience. Um, Did the doctors attribute your miscarriages to endometriosis to not being able to carry the baby, I guess. Yeah. So the, the, the OBGYN that we saw at the hospital, like mm-hmm. when I had the second miscarriage, he was like, well, you know, I saw him for a follow-up and he's like, well, you know, we can, we can do some surgery and figure out what's next steps. And, you know, with your endometriosis. And we were like, we are so done. Right. Like my husband got a vasectomy very right. shortly after. Cause okay. we were like, we're not going through this again. Right. But yeah, there was, I mean, it's again, miscarriage. We don't, we never know why. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the fact that I have endometriosis was likely a cause of me not being able to carry to term. The reason why it's so hard to say what role endometriosis plays in fertility is because every single woman, it shows up in a different way, in a different thought. Okay. Right. So if it's like in your fallopian tubes and your tubes are blocked, well, maybe it's just like unblocking your tubes and that works, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but depends. Maybe if your ovaries are like not working because of the endometriosis, like maybe you can do IVF. Like that's the thing is it just shows up. up. Yeah. So differently in so many different ways. And that's why like, it's hard to say that that was a particular reason, but the doctor was like, if you want to, we'll address your endometriosis. And I was like, no. And then I just like left it after that. Right. Yeah. Okay. And, um, so I'm assuming that after Selena was born, um, your symptoms didn't change. It's not like pregnancy changed anything for you. Oh my you. gosh. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Cause that okay. was, again, this is a myth. So I remember, um, going into the hospital for my surgery, for my first surgery, um, for the endometriosis mm-hmm. and the nurse or whoever it was, that did like, you know, when you go, used to go in person for like a pre-op appointment and they talk about what medicine you're taking and all the changes you need to do right before you have surgery. And she said, Oh, I mean, this is so great. Like, you know, uh, after you have a baby, like you're, you're not going to have the same symptoms of endometriosis anymore. You're going to be all cured. Oh yeah. That's a bold statement, but it's many women are told that. Right. So if you have a baby and you have endometriosis, all your symptoms are going away. It's like, first of all, not every woman wants to have a baby. Yeah. Yeah. So let's be clear about that. And second of all, it's total bull. Right. Like how? Yeah. It doesn't just like stop. It doesn't make sense, but it is a total myth about endometriosis. Okay. It's uh, yeah. You'll be cured from your endometriosis. If you have a baby. That sounds like very um, like archaic kind of medicine, (laughs) you know, sort of bloodletting. Yeah. Right. It is. I don't know. Total, no, but. it's total. This is what's so crazy is like, there's so little research on endometriosis. Mm-hmm. Like you just think if this was affecting men the way that it affects women, yeah, it would have like, there's just no, there's no good diagnosis mm-hmm. and there's no good treatment. Yeah. And I think it's like with women's health, it seems like the generic you know, like I said, the panacea is okay. Go on the pill. You're having any problems yeah. that are remotely related to, you know, any of your reproductive organs. It's like, just go on the pill. And I think my heart really aches because it's like, um, you know, I don't want to get into this, but it's like, I'm at the other end I'm in perimenopause. Yeah. And it's like, I had the same thing. It was like, go on the pill. And I know for other, perimenopause, for perimenopause that absolutely. She was like, well, if you want to regulate your period and have it be a little less painful, go on the pill. And, you know, I also know people with other, you know, um, 
you know, going through other symptoms, missed periods, you know, and zero investigation into why the period is not coming every month. Just let's put you on the period. It'll be more convenient. Yeah. You know, yeah, so the convenient thing. And oh. then like some doctors advising like to never stop, like don't get your period and just keep taking the pill. I was advised Absolutely. that as well. Mm-hmm. It's Absolutely. Like, that doesn't feel right to me to like yeah. not get my period at all. I mm-hmm. feel like it would be really bad if I like didn't. And then in you know the third month, like if my body hadn't released everything. Yeah. Like there's a reason why we have a cycle. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I agree that I didn't know that about perimenopause, but it's funny because I was offered again to go on the pill at like age 44. Right. To deal with my symptoms. I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, aren't there all kinds of risks associated with going on the pill over the age of 40? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought there might be. <laughs> yeah. And it, yeah. And so that's, that's a whole nother podcast, but yes. Um, so I guess next is sort of what are the last five to six years? So Celine is um, 11, 11 now. Yeah. And so the last, like the time between your last pregnancy and now, I guess. Yeah. So that was, so because I had such a scare at the hospital, right. Because mm-hmm. I got this infection after a surgery that had to do with my uterus. Like I got really scared to really even like talk to any doctors or anything to deal with the pain or anything that was happening. And I didn't want to go on back on the pill. So Unfortunately though, what happened is like things just got worse Mm. and my cycles got longer and more painful and bleeding more. I mean, you know, this is going to just a little bit TMI, but I use something called a diva cup, which is like, yeah. Cause first of all, if you have endometriosis, like, like me and you were bleeding that much, like a tampon is unsafe. Second of all, I had toxic shock syndrome. Like that's what happened. I went into toxic shock. So I was Mm -hmm. never going to be able to use them again anyways. But, um, so I use a diva cup, which I think is actually a really good solution for, for women. Uh, and, uh, my, I was passing clots so big that it would fill the diva cup and then just overflow like immediately. So there were times when like, I couldn't leave the house because I would need to change my diva cup, like every hour. Right. Because it was just out of control. And I had kind of mentioned it to the doctor a little bit that I was really dealing with all this pain. And this is the other thing about me is that unfortunately I don't do well with prescription painkillers, which is maybe a good thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's the good and bad. It's the good and bad. You haven't been on them a lot, which is probably good for you over a period of time and bad because there's nothing that touches the pain for you. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So I like, I cannot, I get, I have like this real a nausea, like I get nausea from like basically anything. So like any kind of codeine or any opioid based, uh, painkiller was off the table. So the only thing I could do is take Advil. Yeah. But then I'm taking like, I mean, I look back and I was taking, uh, sometimes eight, maybe more Advil, extra strength Advil, right. Two at a time. Yes. For five to seven days straight. Right. Like sponsored by Advil. No, I know, it's not, right? but it's not. <laughs> it's like, a C- or yeah. a, not acetaminophen, um, ibuprofen, which is so bad because mm-hmm. it's a, an NSAID, a non steroidal anti inflammatory drug, and they like kill your gut. Your gut. Mm-hmm. We talk about mm-hmm. gut health all day talk long. Talk about gut health. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so last five or six years, painful, painful periods, yeah. lots of bleeding, and a longer period within your cycle. You said a longer cycle. So did you No shorter cycle, this shorter crazy, cycle, shorter longer cycle. period and pain in the middle when I would ovulate. Right. So just pain all the time. Um, 
So recently, since I have met you, actually, you had a hysterectomy and a full hysterectomy. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm going to ask the question. I feel like it's somewhat obvious, but um, what led you to that decision? And I guess really, you know, you could have had a partial hysterectomy potentially or a full hysterectomy and you chose to go with a full hysterectomy. So maybe you could speak to what led to that decision. That is a good question about the full versus the partial. So I got to the point where I felt like my quality of life was just like so poor. And I think the hardest thing is that it's only in hindsight that I can see how, how how terrible, how much pain I was in and how much it affected my life and how I, my whole life was built around whether I would have my period or not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And having to say no all the time, I'm sorry, I can't come to your event Yes, because I have cramps Mm -hmm. and then feeling like I was, I always had this feeling like, you know what, your pain isn't that bad. Like just suck it up. Right. Sort of you're invalidating yourself. Yeah. Let alone any messages you might be getting from the rest of the world. Yeah. Yeah. But like, no one was ever saying like, oh, you're just making it up. Like if if I said I can come because I have cramps from endometriosis, like people just said, okay, right. We'll get you next time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I, in my, in my head, what was going through my mind is like, I, I'm just, I'm always canceling on people. Right. And I always seem to have cramps at the wrong time. You know, really mm-hmm. a really upsetting time was it was Christmas and I was supposed to go Christmas Eve and I had plans to go listen to Carol singers, like a single on caroling with my mom and my daughter. And I couldn't, I, I could not go. I was really unwell. And I was, I, all I wanted to do was be in bed with my hot pot or be in the bath. And my mom got very upset with me. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. She's like, are you sure you can't just go? I'm like, no, I really can't. Right. And then like trying to have dinner, like for Christmas Eve. And like, I'm like at the dinner table with my hot pad because I can't, I can barely sit up. Right. And so, yeah, of course I felt bad, but I can mm-hmm. look back now and see that I was in so much pain. And so that was where I was like, I started feeling this at the beginning of the pandemic that I needed to take action. And then like, mm-hmm you know, everyone got scared of COVID. And so then I just didn't take action. Right. Right. So then I finally took action because it took me a long time to be comfortable to say, I'm ready to go back to the hospital. I'm ready to go back for surgery. Right. Right. And just the past trauma and yes. Okay. Continue. No, that's yeah. That's it. Like the trauma of what had happened Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. kept me out of the hospital. And so I, I made a point with my doctor here, of course, by phone, because now everything's by phone. And I just said like, and it wasn't even my doctor it was like a locum. And I was like, yeah, I was like, I really, I want to get surgery. It was a friend actually who recently, or was just had her surgery. And she was like, oh my God, best thing I ever did. And I was like, okay. I was like, okay, okay. Tell me more. So she convinced me like, not in a, like a, not in like a forceful way. Right. She was she like, reassured she you. reassured me thank yes. you, that, I, that I should probably make this call. And so then I talked to this locum about this and she's like, are you sure you don't just want to go on the pill? I was like, no, like, I'm fr- I was <laughs> so like, how many times right? like, throughout your life? It's like, just go on the pill. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, no, I like, please, I need this referral. And so I wanted to be referred to a specialty clinic on the mainland. Right. So there's a, a clinic at women's hospital uh, that deals with this special surgery called excision surgery. So excision surgery is where they like dig down and get the roots out of your endometriosis. Because the reason I had been hesitating so long for a hysterectomy was actually beyond the fact that the trauma from the hospital 
was that for many women, a hysterectomy doesn't solve their problem. Right. Because they take out the uterus and the ovaries potentially, or just the uterus, or just the uterus yep. but then don't take out any of that endometrial tissue. Yeah. So then it's still living, breathing yep. in your body and still causing pain. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And here's the like crazy part. So if you do a partial hysterectomy and leave your ovaries in, so your body's still producing estrogen, but there's endometriosis around those ovaries. So you're not getting your period anymore, right. literally, yeah. but you're still going to have endometrial pain because your body's still producing estrogen and there's still endometriosis in your body. Right. Because it's fueled by estrogen, right? That's what makes it hurt so much. Oh, I feel like that would be so devastating to think that that might be the thing that is going to make you feel better and then go through, you know, a really serious surgery yeah. and then have it not that work. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. So that's why, so I was hesitating, hesitating for a really long time. And then also if you take everything, if you take the ovaries, the fallopian tubes, the uterus, the cervix, if you take everything, then you're in menopause, surgical menopause immediately. Yes. So that's also a really serious decision because there's, you know, there are benefits like your body needs the estrogen, you mm-hmm. know, and they say it's till about 50 years old. So then it's like, right. then I have to choose to be on supplemental estrogen. Right. If I do everything. So there were a lot of big decisions. Um, but when I saw the, when I went for the ultrasound turned out, I also had a uterine fibroid, a fairly large one, which had probably been causing me a lot of pain. Right. And then they could see on the left ovary that there was either some kind of sister endometrium. They couldn't tell specifically, but they could tell the left ovary was something was wrong, something there. Yeah. Right. Okay. So you decided to go through with the surgery. How long has it been since your surgery? Yeah, it's been 11 weeks and it's so interesting because at first, when I first talked to the surgeon, I, and I said, yes. And I said, take everything. And like the, when I got home and then talked to a few friends, I was like, oh wait, maybe I should try and save one of my ovaries. Like maybe we should save the the right one that doesn't have anything specifically on it. Right. And I, so then I like paused. I was like, I don't know if I want this surgery, but maybe I do. And then I, I came to the conclusion that no, I still wanted everything out because even though my right ovary had nothing on it, I would have pain on my right side. Right. I could feel the pain. So yeah, I decided to get everything out and, uh, it's been 11 weeks now. And what's interesting is when I went back to my doctor, um, after eight weeks for the, the checkup, she's like, yep, there definitely was uh, endometriosis like everywhere. Uh, right. That left ovary had the endometrium and you had something called adenomyosis, which is another like inflammation of the uterine lining. And I might be saying that wrong, but I didn't even know that was a thing. Right. Another condition. I didn't know so about it turns out there's like layers upon layers of things, things going on. And she said, your right ovary was seemed to be perfectly healthy. I was like, I don't care. <laughs> I was like, I, this is the one time I'm like, you're just going to take like, it off. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, and then how have you been feeling since your surgery? So this is crazy. So I am on estrogen because I need to be on estrogen until yes. I'm about 50. It's really important. It can have detrimental effects to have no estrogen because my yes. body is no longer producing it. So I take a supplemental, I do like a gel and I'm on the lowest possible dose you can be on. Like, and my doctor says it's less than what my body was naturally making. So I assumed I would like have all the symptoms of menopause, like, like, uh, let yeah. me talk. Yeah, about you this. talk about those. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah, it's you know, a little mustache shows up, and yeah, yeah sex drive mm-hmm. drops off a bit, mm-hmm. and yeah, I mean, and it's hard. I mean, it 
can be hard to tell because sometimes, you know, women have that more or less anyway. Um, but yeah, there's definitely like just a decline in that. Um, those are sort of, and I mean, there's all sorts of well, weight, hot flashes. Yeah. I'm like forgetting the big ones, brain fog, obviously, <laughs> which I'm having right now. Um, yeah, there's just so many of them interrupted sleep. That's the other one. That's another one that is huge oh, yeah. that people think they have to have hot flashes when they're in perimenopause. And it seems like interrupted sleep is a huge one. Oh my gosh. I was yeah. just talking about that today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interrupted mm-hmm. sleep is a symptom of perimenopause that women don't know about. Yeah. So yeah, perimenopause is its own podcast, but I'm sure there are tons that talk about it, but I, so I'm assuming I'm going to have all these like crazy, like things happening. Yeah. And immediate, immediate because it's literally one day to the next. Yes. And here we are. I feel great. I don't experience hot flashes. I'm also taking a nutritional supplement that supports, um, you know, the symptoms of perimenopause and menopause. So Mm -hmm. on top of the medication, I'm also taking a supplement and I take, I do take a lot of supplements for those that know me. I take a ton. Um, I do think that because the supplement is specifically for this, it's helping me, but yeah, it's been like crazy. And I mean, my doctor had warned me about, you know, I said, one of the reasons I want to have a full hysterectomy is like, I would just want to be able to have sex with my husband. Right. Mm -hmm. Because when you have such a short cycle and a long period, the window is very short and I have a very (laughs) healthy marriage. I'm very grateful that I have a very you know, a partner who's interested in me and, you know, wants to have a a sexual relationship with me. I'm I'm so grateful Mm -hmm. for that. And she's like, well, you know, your sex drive will probably, you know, might go down and all these things. And I was like, I was like, nope, I'm good. I was like, I'm just so relieved that I can actually not have to schedule, you know? Right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So yeah. So I'm feeling, feeling good. That's great. So I do want to just touch in because I know you and I have talked about, um, the physical symptoms that you're experiencing have improved so dramatically since your surgery. And like you said, right away. Um, but there's been like, you know, looking back and just looking at, you know, we were talking, there's, uh, like there's a real grief day, you know, and that was sort of building up and looking back at, um, you know, right from your childhood and you talked about missing out on events and having a hard time getting up for Christmas dinner and, you know, sort of this, Oh, it's like, it's a special day. Can you get up today? Um, you know, looking back at all of the things that you missed and that there was a lot of grief around that for you. What only has come to light now that I don't have this is that I was in chronic pain Mm. and not only because yeah. of the endometriosis, like chronic back pain, right? Which has not, it's not all gone, but I am not in pain. Like I was in pain all the time. Right. And I assumed it was because of my background as a gymnast or the way that I sat, or I had a standing desk because I couldn't sit anymore. And all mm-hmm. these things, when your body is always in a state of inflammation, yeah, it affects so many things. Absolutely. So I'm, was grieving the loss of the fact that I didn't not being able to acknowledge that I was in chronic pain, I think was, did myself a disservice because Mm -hmm. I felt bad all the time for missing stuff and for being in pain. Right. And my pain was like so high. Like I I think about post-surgery after surgery, I did not take any prescription painkillers. 
I just use like some Tylenol Advil for like, <laughs> like not making a sound, but I'm making a face. Yeah. I'm like, Oh, that sounds terrible. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I just didn't need it after surgery. Cause the pain after surgery was like nothing. Right. Oh my goodness. Compared to that, you know, just before I made the decision actually to ask for surgery, I had been on, I'd been invited to do my very first speaking tour. I was so excited to go on a speaking tour back when people did speaking tours. Yes. <laughs> And I was flying uh, from here, Vancouver Island. Then I went to Salt Lake City, then Seattle, then San Francisco, and then back home. And I did that all over the Canadian Thanksgiving long weekend. Mm. And I had my period. Right. And I had to bring my hot pad. I had like a huge bottle of ibuprofen. I had all my strategies. I, on the plane, like I had my hot pad in my carry-on so I could plug it into the plane. I had these like packs. These are like Chinese medicine packs that you can that go you hot. Crack. Yeah. You crack yeah, you them crack and they go them. hot and yeah. they last a really long time. Mm-hmm. All these things. And my very first experience of this was punctuated with being in so much pain. And the right. person I was with was a man and then something wrong with him not knowing, but he had no idea. And he couldn't understand how much pain I was in. I had to miss out on some dinners. I had to miss out on a bunch of stuff because I had to just go into my hotel and take a bath. Right. And I ate all my meals in my, in my room. Okay. So, yeah, so, uh, that is, you know, some of the things that I missed out on. So just to finish today, Julie, thank you. Number one, for sharing all of this. And, um, what would you say to women, other women who are suffering from endometriosis now? I would say to stand up for yourself. I would say to stand up for your pain. I would say to talk to your primary care physician. And if you're not getting an answer that you want, keep advocating for yourself because I wish I'd advocated for myself. I will put some um, information in the show notes for those that want help, those that need numbers to call and know that you're not alone. Um, And there are, there, listen, there are other strategies that can help mitigate pain and not surgery. Um, That's a topic for another, uh, for another podcast, but I just want you to know that you're not alone and that, you know, this is, it sucks, but we, I'm going to advocate for this more because I want to help more women. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your personal, very, very personal story. I appreciate it. Thank you for asking me to be here. And thank you, Kathy, for just taking me through this. I really appreciate you. And thank you so much for doing this in person with me. No problem. All right. Thanks everyone. Thank you for listening right to the end of the podcast. I hope this episode inspired you to choose to practice gratitude in different ways than you might have before. If you're not already following the podcast on your favorite app, all you have to do is click on the check mark or plus sign under the Wake Up With Gratitude podcast name to make sure that you're alerted of all the new episodes. If you really enjoy this podcast and want others to hear about it, it would mean so much if you could leave a review on your favorite app. Your review can help others to find the podcast and start to join us in choosing to wake up with gratitude every single day.